0: So how are we doing people? Are we doing good? Are we? Yeah, well, a couple of people are doing good. That's awesome. This is, this is always the part of the year that everyone slumps. This is the part of the year where everyone gets tired and everyone gets over the weather and everyone gets over, just there's no public holidays, there's no break, it's just awful. It's quite an interesting phenomenon in education that term three is, is just awful because the kids are awful, the teachers don't want to be there. Even in university, they say the same thing. They say the the people who are learning don't want to learn, and the the people who are teaching the universities, they don't want to be there either. So term three is just absolutely horrific. And I actually think it kind of spreads out beyond just in in education, and I think we we all feel it, right? Like it's just, you know, because there's no sun, the sun hasn't come out for ages, and, and then what happens is towards the end of term three, the sun comes out. And we all start to feel a little bit better. We all start to feel a little bit good. That's because, believe it or not, um, Jesus actually intended us to walk in the sun and not always in the wet. wet. But that's a whole other side issue. Um, So what we have to do when we get into that state is that we actually have to start to stir the gift ourselves. You have to stir it up yourself. You cannot rely on external factors to keep you excited. You cannot rely on external factors to keep you you know, having that passion and that drive for, for the things of God and for the kingdom, we literally have to do it ourselves. You know what? There's a lot that God does for us. This is one of those things that we actually have to do ourselves. And sometimes it's like, oh, but do I have to? I totally get that. So Craig's away... In Papua New Guinea, and has been in—he's never been before. His parents were missionaries in Papua New Guinea. Um, one of his sisters and his brother were both born in Papua New Guinea. So he had actually him and his dad had planned to do this trip um, pre-COVID. Um, and then, of course, COVID hit. And then um, his father, of course, passed away last year. So so he kind of went on this trip for two reasons. One, to honour his parents and their legacy. Um, he was hoping to go to all the places where they were missionaries, but some of them were quite dangerous, and they're up in the um, highlands. And so um, they kind of said to him... Um, at this stage, we can't take you up there. Um, and then the other thing was that we as a church support um, a pastor over there whose name is um, Sunni and his and his wife, Vima, and their kids. So he wanted to just check up on them and see how they were going. Um, and so they kind of gave him this itinerary that looked a little busy, I thought. Um, But because they didn't really, like, none of the other people there actually knew who Craig was. Sonny, of course, does, and he's been praising Craig and telling everybody how awesome Craig is. And then, um, but they had never actually heard of Craig. And so Craig rocks up there, and he speaks the first message. And the next thing you know, they have blocked up his calendar. Come and speak here, come and speak here, because they just loved um, how he was ministering. And So he went from, in the six days, he was going to speak 16 times, and currently he's now spoken 21 and he has three sessions today, so he's feeling a little shattered. Um, and I've convinced him, because he flies in, by the time he gets home, it'll be about 1, one thirty in the morning on Tuesday, but I told him, do not come to work on Tuesday. I think you just need to stay home, and I think you just need to just rest. And even if you can't sleep, just, like, lie on the couch and do nothing. So um, so if you could just just keep praying for him that um, he does recover, because, like, preaching like that does take a lot out of you, because, you know, not only are you ministering the Word, but you're also—it's spiritual warfare, so, you know, you have that, that bombardment all the time. So if you could pray for him, that would be awesome. All right, so let's get into this message. So I'm a little bit excited about this message. Um... And I'm a little bit worried that some of you might not like it, but that's okay. I figure, my my drama teacher, when I was in high school, my drama teacher said this to me, and it's something I've I've held on to. She said, 25% of the people are going to love you no matter what you do. Like, they will. She said, 25% of the people are going to hate you no matter what you do. She goes, so you only have to convince 50% of the people. So I figure I need to convince 50% of you that this is a great message, because 25 of you are going to think that, the other 25... Honestly, I could do cartwheels and you're still gonna go, well, that was dumb. No, I'm you're not like that. You're not like that. You guys are nice. All right, so let's kick it off in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, 3 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he will grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that is at work in us to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen now this passage now most people of course know the end of the end of this passage But if you read just those last two verses, which sound wonderful and exciting, you're actually going to miss out on what this passage is saying. Now, this passage is an apostolic prayer for the Holy Spirit's power to infill every believer. And it's very much needed if we, the church, are going to fulfill God's purpose. You see, I think it's really important passage for the church today. Because we actually live in crazy times. We are living in a world that has gone mental. It is completely nuts out there. And what is sad is when the church no longer looks like the church, when the church is not different to the world. In fact, Paul warns Timothy in, verse, in chapter, uh, 2 Timothy 3 and 4, he talks about how terrible it's going to be in the last days because what's going to happen is that it's not that the world is getting worse, it's that the church no longer looks different to the world. In fact, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, hearty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, From such people, turn away. That is not the people of the world. Paul was talking about the people in the church. People who are lovers of money. Kids who are disobedient to parents. Things that we take for granted in our world today, in our churches today. Well, you know, of course kids disobey. You know, we'd be surprised if there's kids who obey, right? And Paul's telling Timothy that it's going to get terrible because even in the church, there are going to be people who are lovers of self. See, we preach in the church, love your neighbor as yourself. And what happens is we hear that and we think, oh, well, I better start loving myself more so that I can love other people. What are you talking about? You love yourself plenty. Trust me, every time we get together, we talk about you. Like, you love yourself enough. Get over yourself. Paul warns us that this kind of attitude, this kind of thinking is creeping into the church. A love of money lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Have you ever seen the TV show, The Deadliest Catch? During lockdown, I watched all those stupid reality type things. Anyway, The Deadliest Catch is about a bunch of fishermen who go out to fish for crabs and they fish in the Bering Sea. And what happens is half the fishermen die because it's really dangerous and you shouldn't be in the Bering Sea, right? So there's this one scene and... The waves, the waves are just crashing, and this boat is just being tossed backwards and forwards. And the fishermen on the boat are like literally sliding from one side of this boat to the other as they're trying to navigate their way to whatever it is, to the nets that they were trying to get. And that's exactly what the world is like today. You see, we are in this boat and the world and its craziness are the waves that are pushing us to and from. And what happens is the captain on the boat, he, he anchors himself at a point and he knows where he's going and he doesn't take his eyes off that point. And no matter how much the waves are pushing and no matter how much the boat is getting knocked around, he just focuses on that point. And that is what we need to be like. We need to anchor ourselves on God. We need to anchor ourselves on the Word of God so that when the waves of this world start crashing over you and start trying to knock you about, you might get kind of battered a bit, but if you keep your eyes anchored, you know exactly where you're going to go. I think sometimes we spend too much time as Christians focusing on those waves, what's out there, instead of anchoring ourselves on the Word, anchoring ourselves on where we're going to go. You need to be saying, no, I'm the captain of the ship. I know where I'm going. And just keep going. I don't care what they're doing out there. And Paul says to Timothy, as for you and your house, as for me and my church, as for me and my family, what are we going to do in this situation? I think our hope for the future in the midst of all the craziness of this world is actually found in this prayer that Paul has prayed here in um, Ephesians And when we say that it's an apostolic prayer, we say it's an apostolic prayer because he was praying it for the Ephesians, but he's praying it for us as believers now. And it's a prayer that we can take, and we can pray for ourselves, and we can pray for the people that we love. And that's what I want us to focus on. I want us to break this down, because I want you to change the way that you're praying. And if you're not praying, this is how I want you to start praying. Verse 14 to 15, for this reason. Now, the basis of all of Paul's prayer was his knowledge of God's purpose. This means that he could confidently pray according to God's will. We cannot pray effectively if we do not know what God's purpose and his will is. The last, when was the last time you even prayed that for somebody else? When was the last time you even prayed that for yourself? Not God that I would find your will, but God that his kingdom would come, that what was happening in heaven would happen here on earth. When did you last pray there? You see, I hear a lot of prayers for Susie because she hurt her foot or, you know, for Tom because he's got an earache, but I don't hear a lot of prayers from people about praying for the will of God. Paul says, I bow before the Father from whom every family in heaven... On earth is named. He's reminding us, and we need to remind ourselves that God is where we all come from, right? I want you to do something for me. I want everyone right now just to take a deep breath. Breathe in, let it out. Now, the only reason you're able to do that is because God allowed it. We forget about that. We forget that He allows us to breathe. We forget that He gives us breath, that He continually gives us breath. He determines if we take another one. He determines when we stop. And that's why Paul is saying, I get on my knees. I'm coming to the one from whom everything comes from, the one who is immortal, the one who is over every family, that we all come from him. Verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Think about the riches of his glory, of God's glory. Paul says that according to Paul begs God that according to the riches of his glory, the creator of everything. And I think about that scene in Revelation 4 where, where it says that God is glowing like diamonds and rubies. And he has the appearance of Jasper and Carnelia. And there's lightning and thunder and fire coming from his throne. And there's 100 million angels all surrounding him, bowing down to him, calling holy, holy, holy. That's the guy that's in charge. He's the God that's in charge over everything. He's in charge of every single one of us. And you think about all that he is capable of doing. When you remember the majesty that he carries and the glory that he carries, that is the guy that we bow down to. That is the God that we follow. That is the one that we say, according to all of his riches, may he grant us to be strengthened by the power of his Holy Spirit through his inner being. That's what Paul's praying. That's what we should be praying. Is that how you pray? Paul goes on, I get on my knees before God, and God, I know how powerful you are, and I know about the riches of your glory, and I'm begging you, these people, God, that I love, would you strengthen them with your power through your spirit and your inner being? You See, that's the kind of prayers that you need to be praying for your family, for your church, for your connect group, for your serve team. Not that Joe would stop smoking, or that Tom would stop looking at pornography, or that, you know, your son stops smoking pot, or your daughter stops being so promiscuous. Those things you should pray, but they shouldn't be the most important prayers that you're praying. The most important prayers that you're praying is that they will be strengthened by the relationship with the Holy Spirit. See, God, I need, you know, I need God. When I pray, I need God to move on my behalf because I can't make those things. I want the person that I'm praying for, I want Tom to be strengthened through the power of his Holy Spirit. I want it so that the Holy Spirit gets to his innermost person. You know, this is a promise that God had in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 36, when he talks about a day is going to come, we're going to put my spirit inside human being. And people are like, there's no way. You can't, put, you can't put all of God inside a human being. And God's saying, I can. He goes, and like in the Old Testament, they, they knew God to be so powerful and so amazing. And then they knew about the Holy of Holies and knew all the type of power that God had. And they're like, God, how, what are you going to do? What do you mean you're going to put that inside a person? And God says a day is going to come when he's going to put my spirit into them. And he's going to take out a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. And from the inside, they're actually going to want to obey God's commands. And that is what the Holy Spirit does for us. When we are in, filled with the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God, who is from the Holy of Holies, when he comes and he dwells in you, he makes it so that you want to obey God's commands. And often I think in our Christian culture, we can be about a lot of rules and we have a lot of thoughts around, you know, if I can get my daughter to go to Bible study every week, if I can get them to memorize these verses, if I can tell them to stop hanging around with those problem kids, you know, if I can do this for them, if I can get them to do that, in all honesty, while those might be nice things, they aren't going to change anything. The most important factor here for your children is the Holy Spirit. Either the Holy Spirit enters their life and changes them from the inside out to where they become a slave to what is right, where they actually desire the things of God. And if they reach that point, you don't actually have to worry about them. See, God becomes their master. Otherwise, you're going to spend all day long trying to set up programs and trying to come up with systems to keep them from trouble. And we do that in the church a lot. And when that happens, we have people who say, You know, the church made me do this, or my parents made me do this in the church. So when they turn 18 and they kind of get away from church, that's why they fall away. Because we spend so much time making them follow rules, making them follow regulations, making them join a program that we neglect that they actually need the Holy Spirit. If you want to not worry about your children, you need to ensure they have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You need to be praying that the Holy Spirit becomes like breath to them, so important that He is what changes them. Because if He's not changing them, no amount of Scripture memorization or Bible studies or anything like that is ever going to bring about a change in their life. I have a lot of people say to me, Oh, you know, I wish my kids were like your kids. What did, what did you do? Did you guys do Bible studies? I have never once done a Bible study with my kids. Just totally honest. In our house, because the, you know, the Bible says that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the rule in our house is you had to come to church. That was a given. Every Sunday, we're in church. That's it. When they hit 13, when they, well actually, when they left Switch, the conversation was where are you serving? Where are you serving? Because, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care where they serve. I don't care what they pick to serve, but they will serve. You can join Kids Zone. You can serve in Kids Zone if you want. This is the conversation I'm having with my kids when they were 13, or, you know, like I said, when they left, when they left Switch. You can join the hosting team. You want to do projector for, for production. Those are, the, those are the two rules that we had in our house. You will go to church on a Sunday, and you will serve. I did not do them, make them do Bible studies. I bought them Bibles for every stage of their life that they needed to have one. So that they were, you know, kids' Bible when they were kids, teen Bible when they were teenagers, adult Bible when they're an adult. I would say to them, do you want to go to this conference? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Youth was never optional for our kids. You're going to youth. That's just it. I don't care what else you have on. You're going to youth. I don't care what else you have on. This is what you're doing. But I never forced them to do Bible studies. never forced them to memorize scripture. And I never forced them because they had to have their own relationship with God. As a parent, my job is to provide them every tool possible for, to facilitate that relationship with God. Not to provide entertainment. Not to provide them with something to keep them out of trouble. Because if I do that, it becomes a work-based relationship. It becomes something they don't want to do. So I just wanted to encourage parents. Don't force your kids to learn scriptures. Don't force your kids to, to um, you know, read their Bible. Like I know some parents who force their kids to read their Bible. I've never done that with my children. What I did do is I took them to church. What I did do is I prayed with them. What I did do is I modelled how to be a Christian. And I'd have open conversations. Which means that when I say model being a Christian, I turn up to church every Sunday. And I, and, and I did this before I became a pastor, Right? Because the most important thing in our world is to attend church. And if you are saying that but not doing that, they aren't going to believe you. So many parents have come to us. My kid's off the rails. I'm really sorry to hear that. But, you know, you you should have had them in church. I'm I'm just going to be really blunt. I feel an urgency in my spirit that if we don't get some of these things right, we're going to lose this next generation. So I might risk offending you. And I'm sorry for that because that's not my intent, but I'm not prepared to lose this next generation. None of that was in my notes, so sorry about that. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul asked that Jesus would live in these believers. Just as he promised in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home in him. Do you know what's really interesting about this particular word, dwell? There are two ancient Greek words that convey the idea to live in. One of them is the idea of living in a place as a stranger and it's usually the word that they would use when they would talk about staying at an inn or staying at a hotel or staying at a motel. The other idea is the the word means to make your permanent home. Dwell uses the ancient Greek word here for a permanent home. Jesus wants to settle down in your heart, not visit you. He wants it to be his home. And the, the glory of the indwelling Jesus is something for us to know and to know by faith. It is there for us, but we must take hold of it by faith. In fact, This really cool quote by Carr John Glynn, he said it best, he said this, you have your Bible and you have your knees, you need to use them. We need spiritual strength to let Christ dwell within us because there's something within us that is going to resist the influence of Jesus. And that something can be conquered by the Spirit of God and we will have victory in faith. That is why we need to get on our knees And ask God that according to the riches of his glory, that he would strengthen the people inside through his spirit with new power in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you will be rooted and grounded in love. And I love the picture of that, of being rooted and grounded in love. I, I see people standing and they have roots that go down deep into the ground. And you are rooted and grounded in the word of God. You are rooted and grounded in the love for Jesus and a love for Christ. As I think about the parable that Jesus talked about when he's throwing out seeds like, you know, the, the power of the soul in sowing out seeds. And they talk about how the seeds would fall on the rocky ground. And I really am concerned because a lot of Christians seem to be in this place where they, they have little, 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 they're on a little bit of soil inside the rocky ground. And so the roots cannot go deep. And so what happens is when the wind comes, when life comes, when circumstances come, it just completely blows you off your foundation. That is not what we need. What we need is to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. I think that's why our stats are so bad for for kids when they leave high school and they, they go out into the world, because... While they may have attended a whole bunch of programs or maybe while you made them read their word or you made them do Bible studies, they miss getting rooted and grounded in the word of God. They miss getting rooted and grounded in a love for Jesus. They missed having that, that personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. And once they leave that kind of protected environment of church, they just fall away because they are not grounded. Their roots are not strong. As a parent... It, it, it is vitally important that we actually help facilitate that growth for our children I don't know about you but I can't leave Jesus do you feel like that? like I think about things in my life and I think about how like you know um, Anna shared about her and Andre and how, how, how could they get through this sort of stuff without God I don't understand how people get through life without God do you understand how people do that? Like when I'm going through stuff, I just—if I didn't have Jesus, it just—it just wouldn't be worth it. It just—I just don't understand it. Watch people who um, have passed away and they don't like, and their families dealing with the loss of someone—they don't have Jesus. It's awful to watch people do that. I can't leave Jesus. I would lose everything else in this world, but give me Jesus because I'm rooted and grounded in His love. Verse 18, Paul says that we would have strength, and he's praying to God, that God, these people would have the strength to comprehend the width and the length and the height and the depth. See, the love of Jesus has width. You can see how wide a river is by noticing how much it covers. See, God's river of love is so wide that it covers all of our sin. It covers every circumstance in our life. So that all things work together for good. When I doubt his forgiveness or his providence, I'm narrowing that mighty river of God's love. You see, do you want to know how wide the love of God is? For God so loved the world. That's how wide it is. It's as wide as the world. The love of Jesus has length. When you're considering the length of God's love, have you ever asked, when did the love of God start towards me? How long will it continue? And the truth of this comes out in Jeremiah 31 uh, three, when it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. The love of Jesus has depth. Philippians 2, 7 to 8 says, um, But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You can't go any lower than the death of the cross. That's how deep Jesus' love for us is. The love of Jesus has height. To see the height of God's love, you just need to ask yourself, how high does it lift me? How high does the love of God lift you? It lifts us to heavenly places where we are seated with Christ. Ephesians 2 6, He has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can we really comprehend the width and the length and the height and the depth of God's love? To come to any understanding of these dimensions of God's love, we have to actually come to the cross. See, the cross is pointed in four ways, essentially four different directions. God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner. And God's love is high enough to take us to heaven. See, Paul's on his face before God going, God, give them the strength that they could see how big your love is, that they would realize that it's not about coming to church all the time and and attending a service, That's not about giving up drinking and it's not about giving up doing all the things that we like. It's not even about coming, walking up an aisle and praying a prayer, but that they would see, God, that it's about your relationship with him. That it's so much bigger than your mortgage payment or having retirement or having nice kids. That you would see that God's love for you surpasses all of this earthly stuff. Verse 19 talks about the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you will know that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. I think that's really an interesting thought. How can something pass knowledge, right? How can something go beyond knowledge? And it doesn't matter how much I I come and I can teach you about it and I can give you the Greek words and I can give you the Hebrew words and I can educate you with the words and a a theology around the love of Christ. But if you don't experience that for yourself, there's not a lot more that I can do. And that's why we have to get on our face. I can talk to my children about the love of God, and I can explain to them how wonderful it is, and I can show them in the Bible. But until they experience the Holy Spirit for themselves, then I'm not really doing much. And the last phrase talks about being filled with the fullness of God. Paul asked God to fill these Christians with the fullness of God. God. Colossians 2 9 says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. When you think about the fullness of God coming and indwelling in a person, have you ever actually seen someone like that? Like there are some people, some spiritual giants in our world who have obviously walked, and they had that fullness of God. I think of, um, you know, like Billy Graham. He's one of those ones who had the fullness of God at work. Another one I think is also, I don't know if you guys remember meeting him, um, Danny Guglielmucci walks with the fullness of God, right? You walk into their presence, and you know you're in in that thing. And as much as I would love to be known as this, you know, wonderful um, pastor or this great preacher, in all honesty, what I really need is to be known as someone who has the fullness of God. I want people to go, Trend, there's something not quite right about her because she's a bit different. She's a bit, you know, when she prays, the heavens shake. When she speaks words of knowledge, things change. I, I want to be a person who is known to be filled with the fullness of God more than I want to be known for anything else. Because we're not supposed to be normal, we're not supposed to be average. We're not supposed to just be ordinary because we are people filled with the fullness of God. And that's my goal. I want to be known as a person who's filled with the fullness of God. I want my children to be known as people who are filled with the fullness of God. I want this church to be known as people who are filled with the fullness of God, who deeply love God, who are rooted in His Word, grounded in His Word. You see, if we are people who display all of that, then we're going to win the world. If we are people who don't show that, if we are people who are not filled with the fullness of God, then the world is going to look at us and they're going to think that our God is stale and powerless and lifeless. And our God is not lifeless. Our God is not powerless. Maddie, can you come? Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask, according to the power that is at work in us. To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Do you know, do you realize how precious that power is that they're talking about? We're talking about the Holy Spirit. That power is the Holy Spirit. Do you know how precious it is, that Holy Spirit, when he works in us? There's this interesting kind of story in the Old Testament and it spans several books. And it's a story about two kings. One is King Saul and the other one is King David. And there's, the contrast between these two kings is absolutely huge. We have King David who worshipped the Lord, who we're told that we are to emulate his style of worship. In fact, when you, when you kind of break down and study, they'll tell you that the worship we have today is, is that we worship like David worshipped. Right? King David actually had a lust problem, too, by the way. He was a sex addict. I'm just going to call it bluntly. You know, he committed adultery. He uh, had sex with his best friend's wife. Um, Then he murdered to cover up the sexual sin. He overlooked sexual assault on his daughter. He had the the worst relationship with his children. Like, seriously. If you have a look and you read it, he he had the worst relationship with his children. And this is the guy who we use his his style of worship as a template for ours, right? Then you have King Saul, who, well You never actually read about him cheating on his wife. And to be honest, he actually had a great relationship with the kids. He really did. Jonathan loved David, but, but Jonathan still came and he fought beside his father and he died beside his father. I mean, he disobeyed God. Yep, Saul disobeyed God. But then so did David, like, you know, shall not murder. David really disobeyed God. And yet, we've turned David into this hero, to someone that we're supposed to emulate, to someone that we're supposed to copy. And we've vilified Saul. Why is that? When, when the prophet Samuel came, and he came to Saul, he said, Saul, you'll disobey God. Saul says, I'm sorry. Um, but can you not tell the people? Can you can you not take the crown from me? Can you can you just keep it quiet just, just between us? And, and I'll apologize to God, just between me and God. Can you can you just keep it quiet? You know? Saul, Saul wanted to keep the perks of his earthly position. When the prophet Nathan confronts Was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Take the kingdom, take the crown, take all the wealth, take the money, take everything. But, but please don't take the Holy Spirit from me. See, David was willing to lose everything in order to keep a relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's how precious the Holy Spirit that attitude, that's what we're supposed to emulate. And David, not all of his issues around sexual sin and all that sort of stuff, what we're supposed to emulate is his desire for the Holy Spirit. Even though, even though Saul didn't screw up as badly, but he didn't desire the things of God. That's how precious the Holy Spirit is. That's why it needs to be an important part of the prayers that we have for one another. stand I want to pray for you because you are precious to me you're precious to Craig we pray for our church all the time but I've recently after reading through this passages changed the way I'm praying for you and tonight when you're lying in your bed you start to think about the people that you love I want you to start praying this way I want you to start praying like Paul was praying I mean, yes, we need to pray that, you know, if they've got physical needs or, and that's, yeah, pray for those. But I want you to passionately pray. So let's close our eyes. Raise your hands so you can receive what God has for you. Father, I thank you for these people. God, I thank you for these people who have come because they wanted to be in your presence, who have come because they wanted to worship. I thank you for these people, God, who love you, who have got hearts turned towards you, whose eyes seek you out, Father. I thank you, God, that regardless of what is happening in the world, that they have anchored themselves to you, to your word and to your kingdom. God, I pray that you reveal your will to them, that they would desire to see your kingdom expand and fill the earth and go, I know how powerful you are and I know the riches of your glory and I'm begging you, God, please these people that I love, would you strengthen them with the power of your Holy Spirit through their inner being, God. Take out any heart of stone that they have and turn it to a heart of flesh and then from the inside out, God, that they would actually want to obey your commands and be so rooted and grounded in your love that they will be planted in good soil and not in rocky soil, that their roots will be firmly anchored, that they may know the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding beyond the I do, Craig and I always pray for this church, for the people of this church. I want you to be empowered. I want you to live a life with the Spirit of God because God came to give us a life and life more abundantly, and that's the life I want for you. And I know that's the life you want for your children. So tonight, when you're at home, I pray this your children. Pray that they have a relationship with the Holy Spirit more so than anything else because that's what's going to get them through. we need to just feed the sugar but I want you to take time speak to someone who you haven't spoken to before get to know people who are here because we are family right yeah young adults if you're a new young adult and you haven't been to a young adult connect group you need to you need to talk to Maddie talk to Anna talk to Sienna and Matthias you guys need to go to the young adults connect group connect with one another if you are not in a connect group please come and talk to us and we'll put you in a connect group yeah But first of all, we're going to go and eat pancakes. So have a great week. We will see you hopefully at the prayer meeting. Um, Yeah, and let's just go.